excited that so many of you are excited about this topic. I know the last couple of years with COVID, this has not really maybe been in the front of your brain. Like, how do I challenge my academically talented students when we're thinking about how do I get through today? And I have kids who are behind, and I have kids who are anxious, and I have all these different things, and the last thing that you have room in your mind for are the kids who already understand what you're teaching. So I'm glad that we're now in a, an area of our lives and maybe in our brains where we have a little bit more room to think about this topic, too. Maybe this is something you've always been thinking about, too. Great for you. So if you want, you can log into this. You don't have to. Have you ever seen Paired Up before? Okay, yeah. So this is just a fun way. I didn't know where people would be, and um, I love discussion. That's kind of how I teach. I don't like to lecture. And this is a great way to bring your voices into the presentation. So I'm going to start class now. Zesty submarines magically give fragrant jacks. I love those. They're very, very creative. Okay, um, so the reason I got into this, I'll kind of go backward a little bit. Uh, I spent most of my career as a middle school language arts teacher, um, most of it at Ada Christian School, and I um, never, ever thought about challenging the academic talented students. I was pretty sure in my head that I just naturally was doing that already because it was already kind of a tough subject area. And I had a mom come to me one day and she said, hey, Kristen, how are you going to challenge my kid? And I was like, oh my God, I'm already challenging it. And um, that's what I thought in my head, but I thought, I, I'll, I'll look. So I made a like a two-page single-space document full of ways that I challenged him. Like, we're reading a John Steinbeck book. He's going to read two John Steinbeck books, and he's going to compare and contrast them. And my whole list was like that, and I thought it was a pretty smart list. And she looked at it, and she said, no, no. He's going to hate learning by the time he's done with this. And I thought, yeah. You're probably right, but how dare you not take it? I spent a long time on this. Um, and then I started working, um, I had my babies, and I started working for, it was Christian Learning Center, remember back then, CLC, um, all along now. And they had me doing their online English courses. So middle school kids, I don't know if any of you remember that. Um, middle school kids could jump into a course with me during their regular English class um, if they were academically taught. And so I worked on that, and I thought, I have a lot to learn about this topic. So I started to take classes, I started to read books, I started to listen to podcasts on this topic, um, and then became a consultant and went to schools and helped them with this topic. So that's why I became really excited. Um, but after four or five years at All Along, I missed the classroom. So I jumped into the classroom for fourth grade, and just to see like what I'm teaching people actually works, or if it, you know, it's just kind of somewhere out there and just one more thing to do. So that's why this topic. Um, so, this is what I think about gifted. I'm gifted. Teach me, engage me, challenge me, believe in me. Every student deserves the opportunity to learn at school. And you maybe have kids who come into a math class for a year who don't actually learn that much. Because they maybe kind of know most of it. And I think... Um, you know, as a Christian teacher, my job is to help find my students' gifts and to help them propel them forward, to help them grow deeper, to help them um, get more experience in whatever it is that they are gifted in. And so that's teach me, engage me, challenge me, believe in me. So I think kind of the first 
first part is who are these kids too? So the first part of today will be who are these kids? How do you identify them? And um, why is it important to identify these kids? There's a lot of really good research out there on why you need to challenge them. And then I'm going to try to give you some really concrete ways that you can do it in your classroom. And I always think for workshops, um, it can get really, really overwhelming. You hear like, here's one more thing I have to do, and one more thing, and I already can't keep up. I'm already overwhelmed in my own classroom. So I'm going to say, just take one thing, if you can. Maybe it's just, oh, I have an idea of who, who would be gifted in my class. I, I wouldn't have thought of that before. Or maybe it's like one unit, one little thing that you can take. So don't feel like you need to throw everything upside down. Um, even with my year five and fourth grade, I am still revising. Oh, I can add to this. I can add to that too. So I do have a question, and you can respond on PearNet, or you can even raise your hand. Um, I'd love to know, what are you hoping to learn today? So you can type on Pear Deck. But anyone want to raise their hand if they're not on Pear Deck? Anything really specific you're hoping I cover? I do not have all the answers, by the way. I'm still learning myself. So I just want to clarify that. Jackie. Oh, yeah. Well, I've learned so much from Kristen because uh, I work M in the world that she helped create. So, but um, I feel like I have a lot of resources, and I think I've talked to you about this, but I feel like I have a lot of resources for enriching, um, for math enrichment yeah. so much. Um, and then with the language arts, um, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of um, making, <coughs> inventing the, the plane with okay. the student. So um, I'd love to hear more about that. About language arts, okay, good. Anybody else? I can go to Pear Deck too. Let's see. Show responses. Oh, I'm hoping to learn more about strategies for language arts engagement. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> and maybe whoever else. Strategies to extend the base lesson for gifted learners. How to pick books for a gifted ELA class is a great one. How to effectively engage and challenge my gifted students to continue to love to learn. And that's really important, too, because I about killed the love of learning for this poor guy in my eighth grade class. Um, how to effectively engage and challenge my students. There we go. I'm hoping to learn ideas how to challenge my readers and writers. Excellent. <coughs> Practical examples. Um, without making other kids in my class feel less. That is so tricky, isn't it? Yeah, and I do not have the perfect answer to that one. I'll tell you how I do it. It's not perfect. And if you have a really great answer, I'd love to hear that. Some new practical things I can do in the classroom. New ideas for deeper thinking, that's great. Not busy work, that's the key. Not just another math worksheet where you can do the same thing over again. Tangible ways in math, you guys are great. Wow, look at all this. Software platforms for enrichment, that's a great one too. Um, learners, more time, more meaningful. Okay, so we have some really, really great responses. Create work, challenging, not extra resources. Oh good. So it sounds like you have a lot of really good um, things that you want to learn. Some of these things will cover really well in here. Some of these things will kind of cover. And maybe some of you will have the right answer or a good answer right now. So maybe some of your students are like this little boy. How many times do I have to tell you you're not supposed to read ahead? This. I have a couple of those guys in my class. I just, you know, it's October. You're just starting to learn, right? Like, who are these kids who think at that level and 
you know, who are the kids that aren't even quite at this level yet? Yeah, sure. So, I know we just got done with parent teachers this week. So, um, how many of you had parent teachers this week? Okay. Oh, we're not the only ones. Okay. Um, so, you're just starting to hear, and maybe you're hearing too from parents like, my kid is gifted. We'll talk about that, too. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, your kid is not here yet. It's just right here. <laughs> How do I say that gracefully? Okay. So here's why do we have why challenge them? If they already understand the material, we're good. I have to focus on these kids over here, and they don't understand anything that I'm talking about. Well, there's some really good research on this. So um, students who are gifted, and... We use the word, um, I'm going to move it to academically talented, and the reason I'm going to do that is because all gifts, God has given all gifts gifts, right? We know that. Um, and for this one, we're going to really talk about the academic gifts that God has given kids, not all many, many, many other gifts, because that would be, you know, like a five-day conference, and we don't have that time. So, but academically talented. They get praised for completing tasks with little effort. Good job. Got an A in your math test. I don't have to study. Awesome. I don't have to do any work really for anything because people just say I'm great. They don't learn study skills, time management, handle competition, or deal with pressure. I just had a conference this week with um, parents of a sweet little girl who is very overwhelmed with fourth grade. She's got hard spelling words from me and um, Piano is hard, and she has tests that she needs to study for, and the parents are, why is my kid falling apart? And I looked at her math scores, if you do math or standardized test scores, and she was like crazy high, like about as high as you can get for fourth grade. There was no logical reason this child should be feeling overwhelmed. School is not hard for her. Nothing about school is hard for her. And I said, let me tell you why. She's never had to study. She's never had to do time management. School's never been hard for her. I'm challenging her now, and she's not quite sure what to do with that. So if she doesn't learn those skills now, imagine what it's going to be like for her in high school and college when she's going to feel that pressure. She's going to fall apart, and you're not going to be there to do that with her. And the dad went, oh, that's me. That's what happened to me. It was like a light bulb went off. And he goes, you're, you're right. We do need to challenge her. I said, of course, within reason, right? Like, anxiety is real. And I said, I don't want her, I don't want to push her off that cliff. But I do want her to feel that she has to work at school a little bit and to make it just challenging enough where she is engaged and she's got to work on her time management skills and she's got to study at home at night versus, you know, I don't have to take anything out of my folder because I already understand it all. So... I was glad not all parents, you know, would handle it in that way, but that was a great one. Um, so here's an expert in this field, Dr. Sylvia Rim. She said, the surest path to high self-esteem is to be successful at something you perceive to be difficult. And you can see that with your kids, the kids who study so hard for that test and they get an E minus. They feel like a million bucks. And they, they feel, you know, like, look at me. If I work really hard, I can achieve something great. I know I am not a natural runner, and I started running, and when I crossed that first finish line, it was unbelievable because something I never thought I could do, and I felt like a million bucks. So kids who never have to struggle with anything, they never get that feeling. 
and that doesn't build their self-esteem up. In fact, they're maybe always trying to trying to look for like, how do I feel good about myself? I know I'll just act like I'm better than everyone else. Do you have those kids in your class where their self-esteem, it seems like it's really, really high, but really there's not a lot there and they're just coming off um, that way. Students need to be engaged in challenging work or they will lose their motivation to learn. And maybe you can think about this, or adults um, who, you know, school just got boring. They understood it. They stopped really trying. And, and that's not good either. We want them to be engaged. So again, not the busy work. <coughs> so I have a colleague of mine who has some um, boys, twins, who would have been considered very quickly academically talented. And she is going to tell us a couple stories about how some of her boys, maybe pranking others, um, looked like this list. Would you like to share? Um, These so stories are great, by the way. Okay. Um, I'm Terry Butch. I have a set of twin boys. They're maybe your age now. They're 27. But, um, yeah, we ran into this with my children because I thought, oh, I'm a teacher. I don't even know what my kids are like. But anyway, so I'm just going to tell you a couple of naughty stories because I have plenty to share. Um, and maybe you have a Katie Connor in your classroom. Um, so we did not know. Um, they loved English, and so um, Mr. Essel was their English teacher, and so they figured out they liked electronics, and so they figured out a way that every time Mr. Essel would start teaching, they knew what he was going to teach, um, and so they just made a remote control that would turn on his TV. So when he would start teaching, the TV, well, some of you are too young to know this, but we had TVs like in the corner, um, and, and every time he'd start teaching, his TV would turn on. And then he would go sit back down, turn the TV back up, and then he would get back up, and then we just kept doing it. And they just, they're like, we're not learning anything, so we're going to challenge ourselves. Um, so, yes, that was one. Another time, um, they have, um, they learned to, again, they're both computer engineers now, but um, they learned to make the phone ring in the classroom of the teachers, and so, and they would make it look like it was coming from someplace else, and so make it look like it was coming from another teacher's room, and so the teacher would go into the phone, and then they would just hang up on them, and then they learned how to program other phones, um, so if you had a, a student who didn't like their what they were teaching, they'd be like, I could tell. Who are you talking to today? And I'm like, oh, nobody, it's not a big deal. Then I find out it's my children doing this. Um, and then they had, the teacher said, you have eight, do your science test, show eight minutes. They finished their test. And so they said, you can't talk to anybody or don't do anything. So it's on the computer. And so um, they just figured out a way to wipe out their teachers on their screens. But they weren't smart enough, so they said, like, I am Miss Bloomberg from Connor Butch. And so everything disappeared <laughs> on their computer. And then here comes up this pop-up menu. And then they even said, so then they get suspended, and then they're like, well, we've read the handbook, and there's nothing malicious in the line about what we're doing. So you can suspend us, but we will not agree that we broke something that's in the handbook. Um, so, yeah, so just in my own life, I'm like, you know, they really were those kids at fault. Like, you have eight minutes, don't talk, so what are you going to do? We're just going to make a little program that quickly, like, say hello to our teacher, so. I can go on for days, but. Yeah. So, her, you now know my life. Her stories are hilarious. So, we're probably not 
I mean, not every teacher is going to have students who are like that good in those areas in computers, but you can think of, of kids who maybe show some of these signs that could be because they're, they're bored. They already understand the material. They're unmotivated, sometimes misbehaving. They have a lot of extra time during their day because they're done right away, so they're pranking others. Or sometimes, these are the really nice ones, quietly waiting for everyone else to finish their work. <laughs> that's, those are the nice ones. Um, socially aloof, that's really common because kids are thinking at a different level than they are. So you have twins, so they could think at the same level, but a lot of times kids who are really um, academically talented, they socially don't quite fit in because kids don't think of their, their same wavelength. Or they're just disconnected. They become the loners, again, because they just don't have that person that they fit in with. So what is considered gifted? <laughs> this is not, by the way. I can suck putting up my nose and blow it out of the corner of my eye, but they still won't put me in the gifted class at school. <laughs> Maybe that's how you're feeling the parents are asking you. Okay, so we have some definitions for gifted. Now these aren't great, and I found out this is kind of cut off, but it's okay. Um, so we'll go through this really fast. So here is one definition. Students, children, or youth who give evidence of high achievement um, capability in areas such as intellectual, creative, artistic, leadership, capacity, or in specific academic fields who need services outside of the typical classroom. So I like this in the fact that it says um, who give evidence of high achievement and they have lots of different areas listed and it's good for us to think about like hey you know what you can be a gifted leader and it doesn't all have to be academic you can be gifted in art um, artistics or music or any of those kinds of things so this is more the one that we're going to work with um, this is from the Department of Education Children and youth with outstanding talent who perform or show the potential for, for performing at remarkable high levels of accomplishment when compared with others of their age, experience, or environment. So what I like about this one the best is they show, show the potential. Because if kids have checked themselves out of your class or just out of school, but you know they could have that potential. That's kind of nice. So, um, is there anything that you would add or change to those definitions? I don't know that we have a lot of time to think about that. So, just think about that as we go along. Is there more that you would add or change or take out? So, we're going to look at um, what is the difference between just a really bright kid, that teacher pleaser, really easy kid to to teach straight A's, and a creative thinker and a gifted thinker, because there is a difference between them. And I didn't know this right away. Um, a high achiever, they're the ones who want to know what you want. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to answer that question? What should my paper look like that you want me to make that paper look like? Versus a gifted learner, what I'd like to do is, they're thinking outside that box of what the teacher wants. And then a creative thinker is kind of all over the place. They're thinking about, you know, what time is it? And I wonder if I can do this. And what if we can put that all together in a really cool project? Now, this is probably my favorite chart in this whole presentation. Um, because it hit me the hardest, I think, about what is the difference between just a bright kid 
and a gifted kid. Now, it's not to say a bright child shouldn't be challenged. Absolutely, challenge a bright child appropriately, but there is a difference between that child and a gifted child. So, a bright child enjoys school, but a gifted child just enjoys learning. A bright child is interested versus really curious, knows the answer, ask the question. Have you ever had that kid, they put their hand up in the air and you're like, oh no, they're not going to answer my question. They're going to like, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and I'm, I am surely not going to know the answer to whatever question that child has right now. Right. Yeah, I get that in fourth grade. It makes me feel not so smart all the time. But there is Google for that. Um, <laughs> they understand the ideas versus they construct abstractions. They copy accurately versus they create. So you, you guys keep saying, like, they create. They ask questions. It's outside the box. Um, as a technician versus an inventor. Mm. They answer the questions. They discuss it in detail. They're making connections that maybe you never made in your head. And you're kind of blown away by that. They're in the group. They're beyond the group. This receptive is intense. Learns with ease. They already knows the answer. Enjoys their peers. Some of them prefer adults. Again, because they're thinking more at an adult level. So they're, you know, this sounds great, but there are a lot of challenges also. If you are a truly gifted student, gifted learner, um, you can be a perfectionist, really mm -hmm. sensitive. Um, abstract thinking, observant, inquisitive. Excellent in reasoning skills, you learn quickly, intense interests, interest, overreacts, or critical of self and others. We're coming. There we go. So I I like thinking about the difference between this. Because maybe it's your B student who has all the questions for you. Maybe it's your B student who is highly inquisitive, highly creative. So it helps you put that into perspective. So now some schools have um, programs like gifted and talented programs. How many of your schools have like an actual program for that? Okay. And then how many, so the rest of your schools, I'm assuming, then do not. Okay, so then it's up to the teacher for this. So fortunately, um, at at Ada Christian, I worked at help with the school on developing a process for just how do you get them in this gifted and talented program, which we called Row at our school. But even for teachers to, to be thinking, even if you don't have a program, how do you know who who would be in there? I think that's an important process to think through. So here are just some ways um, that you can do it. This is similar to how we do it at school. Kind of a parent nomination which again, be careful with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's where, I just want to say for parent nomination, there is a part on here that says you, you take your standard, um, your standardized testing, like your math testing or anything. Those are super handy. If you're, you have a parent who's like, my kid is gifted and you're not challenging my child and you're looking and you're like, yeah, they're in the 89th percentile. That's, that would not put them in here. Usually it's 95th and above that you really start looking at that. It's like about 10%. So um, that's a great, that's, that's an easy stick the paper on the desk and say, that's great, your child is really bright. But we're not quite here yet. 
So parent nomination, teacher nomination, student work. So you do want to look at all those things. Because, um, again, it's a test, a standardized test. It's just a test. And maybe they had a bad breakfast and their stomach hurt and they bombed it, right? So it's just a test, but um, it is really helpful. So you look at these tests, 95 or above is a really good place to really look if they would be in that gifted category. Um, there are different tests for giftedness. Stages three is one that you, you do have to buy it and you have to have someone know how to use that test. Um, and then the teacher, you keep kind of looking. You, you take your test in the classroom, you take your pre-test in the classroom, and you keep looking. I don't know why this keeps turning off, but it's fine. Um, you adjust the, the curriculum, but you keep monitoring. Maybe you move someone up and you're like, you know what? They're really not doing anything in this program, and this maybe isn't the best space for them. So that's okay, too. So it's you just keep looking, you keep adjusting. So once they're maybe in a gifted program, that doesn't mean that they stay there. And it doesn't mean that they're gifted in everything. And we're going to talk about that, too. So have you ever heard of twice exceptional students? Oh, yay, so many people don't know what that is. Um, and I did not know what that is until I dove into this work. So twice exceptional, and you're going to, I think, think of so many kids in this category. They maybe, they have a learning disability in some way. Um, maybe they're on the autism spectrum or they're dyslexic. I have a sweet child in my class who struggles to read as a fourth grader, struggles. And so you can just like sit in here, right? You can sit in that learning disability and everything goes towards, he, we gotta get him up. But look at this, this kid, has a whole bunch of these areas in his sweet little head. I mean, this kid is um, a problem solver. He's intuitive. He, he is creative. He can put ideas together. He has background knowledge. So, or you can think of somebody who maybe is on the spectrum who's like super good with space. They know, I just talked to a teacher in our school, everything is about space. And that gets a little old. I mean, I know, as a teacher. But hey, isn't that amazing? Like that would be considered academically talented. Maybe it's in one area, but that's a really great way to help that kid grow, embrace it. I mean, not every single minute of the day needs to be about space, but you know, versus feeling white. So these kids, they have a lot. They have a lot of baggage behind them. School is hard for them. And maybe they argue and it's just, they don't get along with others, but they have all these really great things too. Highly creative, questioning, good problem solver. So if you think about the CLC, the All Belong model of the puzzle piece, you know, the puzzle piece? Yeah. So like you're really, really good at this and you struggle with this. Um, this would be a pretty significant puzzle piece, like really significant things to work on, but really amazing giftedness in other areas, and to recognize that and to help that kid feel great. So, um, think, I want you to think. Do you, can you think of some students like this? Why don't you take like a minute and tell your neighbor about a student who you're like, wait, I think this child is twice exceptional, twice gifted. I'll give you just a minute. That way I can get a drink of water.
Other, and then we'll see if any of you are brave enough to raise your hand and tell us what you think. What do you think? How do you think they're typically taught? understand please help me I get it but that's not a great place to be in every day is it like I come to school so I can help the teacher and I don't even get paid <laughs> I I haven't my nephew is like super good at math and he hates math and I'm like why what's going on well I'm the teacher's helper in math the teacher calls me her helper and I was like oh do you learn anything math I just help everyone because I already know it. Hmm. do you like math I hate math like, okay, well, now I'm eating that one. So, yeah, that's that makes it hard. You guys can keep seeing my family there as my computer ties. I have two girls, a fourth and sixth grader, just in case you're curious. Um, so that's maybe how they're typically taught. We just don't have time for everything, and I understand that. Um, but maybe there are some really good ways that they're taught. Anybody have, like, a really good example? Maybe what you do in your class or... Something that you've seen done? Well, I know that there's some schools that are different, and like Montessori schools. Sometimes parents see them as a good option for kids that yeah. want to work in a different way. Or a museum school, or a zoo school, you yeah. know, where they're more specific towards an interest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but if you, they're in a school where it's more like a regular standard school, yeah, but mine It's a little bit harder. Yeah, there are special schools. Montessori is great for these kinds of kids if they're self-motivated. I mean, they might not be self-motivated. So Montessori is, you know, not the right fit for for everyone. So I want you to be thinking about um, how do you teach the academically talented students? I always think the first thing is to know who they are, um, and then once you can kind of figure out who they are. Now it becomes a little bit easier to do something. So I have a lot of different ways. And again, pick one, maybe, or pick an idea. 
and um, and go with it. Don't feel like you need to redo every single thing that you've done. And you might do a lot of really great things already and not even know it. So I'm hoping you feel kind of good when you leave too. Like, look at me. I'm doing some good things already because I'm sure you are. The first thing you need to, you need to know your students. And I get the sense just by watching how you talk to each other about students, you do know your students. And you just had parent-teacher conferences and now you know their parents too. And that's, I think, the most important step. Know your kids. Um, find their passions. Embrace their questions when appropriate. If they raise their hand, I've had some kids where I'm like, that's a great question. Go find the answer. Because I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to answer you. Um, encourage self-directed learning. And again, that's very kid-specific, right? Because not every kid can do self-directed learning. So here, I think you've seen this comic before. It's a little blurry on here. But to ensure a, a fair selection, you are all given the same <laughs> test. You must all climb that tree. <laughs> and I think this is, um, you know, sometimes how education works. Like here is here is the test. And a lot of you were talking, um, some of the questions were, how do you make kids not feel bad? You know, like, but I'm not a monkey, I'm a, I'm a fish. I, I don't want to feel bad about my fishness. So, <laughs> I don't know, I just mean that. Um, so I often talk to the kids about, let's say we went to lift weights. Okay, like my four-year-old nephew, he's like a little thing. And then maybe there was an eighth grader, and then maybe there was a weightlifter. And we were all told to lift the same weights. Do you think that would be fair? No. They're like, oh, that would be terrible. I said, well, that's sometimes how school is. Like, fair is not giving you all the same thing. And I think on day one, to say, let's celebrate how we're different. Just like, God made us different. Let's embrace that versus be scared of it. And when we embrace it, um, and I, you really get a culture of that in your classroom, there is less complaining about, like, yeah, but like, they got to pass out of this, and I didn't, and I feel really sad. It's not perfect, because we live in a broken world, and, um, you know, kids are going to want what that kid has. Um, but if you can create a culture where we celebrate differences, it helps a lot where kids understand this idea. So I think you all understand differentiation. Um, using differentiation in the classroom means designing and implementing curriculum, teaching strategies and assessments to meet the needs, interests, and abilities of all students. And I think when we think about differentiation, we often think about like the easier level and then the like normal level, but not maybe that one more level. And you can't do this for everything. You can't differentiate all day long. But I think you, you do things in your classroom without even realizing it to make sure that every student is successful appropriately. So different ways you can differentiate. You content, the process, or the product with their readiness, interest, or learning profile, growth, motivation, efficiency. There's just a lot of words there that we'll break down into a couple very specific ways or strategies. So here is... For academically talented students, here are some of my favorite ones. Um, my favorite of all of them, uh, probably for math, is curriculum compacting. I love to curriculum compact um, with my really bright math kids especially. Acceleration, so kind of going ahead. This can get tricky if you, you know, you keep going ahead, then, you know, what are you going to teach them next year? Um, 
pull out, which only a few of your schools have, so most of your schools are self-contained classrooms. Tiered assignments are great, and I think a lot of, we do this a lot in our writing and in our reading really naturally, probably without even realizing it. You are doing tiered assignments. And then independent study. So that's, we're gonna go through these um, decently fast. Um, the question I always get though is grading. Like, I have kids with really hard spelling words and I have kids with super easy spelling words to, to me. They're hard for the kid, right? But how do you grade? And so for a lot of it, I'll say, you know what, if you can pass the curriculum standards, you get an A, but then here's the extra work I want you to do. So you have to figure that out within your own classroom. But I really want to get kids away, and this is hard, because you got to get kids and parents away from the idea of grades. Um, and you know how well that goes. Like, what my kid needs an A. Um, assessment is differentiated for advanced learners by setting classroom conditions that allow them to get full credit for required standards without necessarily being expected to do all the activities that have been designed to lead to mastery. And teaching, teaching gifted kids in today's classroom, that's a book that um, is really popular on this topic. So it's, this, this does get tricky, and this would also be something to talk to your administrator about, about the grading and just you know making sure everyone's kind of on the same page with that. Okay, assessment, here's my first one. This is, um, I love pre-testing. Now, pre-testing is super stressful to your lower kids. So this isn't always helpful for your lower kids, so maybe kind of think through that, because you don't want to add extra anxiety to them. They're like, I don't understand anything on this paper. I don't expect you to. It's okay. Um, but my favorite for math is, you know in math books, they often have many versions of the same math test with just different numbers. So find a different version that you're not going to give for that final test. Give it to them on day one. And that's what I use to know, like, who knows the material and who really doesn't. Where do I need to spend a lot of time? Um, we have really good third grade teachers at Ada Christian who are in this room. And there are times when kids really know a lot about, you know, certain topics. And I know I don't have to work very hard on there. So it's not just helpful for your advanced kids. It's helpful for the whole classroom and to know where you should put your time and energy. Um, have students complete a few difficult problems first. Maybe you know kind of what the most difficult are going to be um, or the most overarching. Give them that first. See how they do. Have students make a flow chart of the information they already know. Just write it down. I can think about this for one of my students who I would call twice exceptional. I would probably just have them make some sort of flow chart and it would be all over the place, but it would be full of excellent information. It would be probably spelled wrong, but it wouldn't matter because I would know what he knew. Um, fast rates, those are great for all the kids. You could do a fast rate for any of the kids or like some sort of fill in the blank where they have to fill it in. So once you have your pre-testing information, now you can move to the next one. This is called compacting the curriculum. This is my favorite when it comes to math. Um, I wonder if the Mars spacecraft crashed because the engineers forgot to convert acceleration data from pounds to force into newtons. Mm. How many apples would be left if you bought 12 and then ate two of them? <laughs> this poor kid, right? <laughs> I have that sometimes in my class. The kids are like, what? And I'm like, oh, you were in your head somewhere, weren't you? Probably thinking about really cool things. Um, that's where... Kids who already know the material, having them in class can actually be a distraction for the class. Sometimes it's not helpful. Um, so this is what you do. You 
look at the curriculum, you look at your standards, and you say, according to the PS, <coughs> they already know lessons one through seven, or they know what I'm going to teach on Monday through Thursday. It looks like they don't understand Friday's material or the next Monday's material. And it is taking that, so it's making adjustments to your curriculum. And it's okay to be flexible with kids. It's, I mean, I feel like after COVID, it's like six feet apart, guys. Here's your worksheet. Here's your pencil. Don't breathe on each other. And I feel, right? Is that how the last few years have been? And I feel like we've kind of forgotten that it's, it's okay to try something different. Now our kids can be together. Now we can try different things. Now we can experiment, and experiments might not always work. But that's okay. Try it. See what happens. Doesn't work, don't do it again the next time. Um, but see, who've already mastered the material and then replacing the content students know with new content, enrichment, or other activities. Now, when you replace, this can be tricky for a teacher because it's one more thing to do. Um, so sometimes you can go to TPT and find something that's not busy work, like more of a project base that they can work on. Maybe you can find something really cool that they're excited about and they can go work on it. Um, I often have kids go work in the hall, which, you know, they got to be able to handle the hallway. Or they can go in the corner of the classroom. So, um, for example, my last math unit, I had some kids. They understood everything except for um, factors, multiples, and the problem-solving activities. So I said, you don't need to be in the classroom these days. And I wrote it on their pretest. Join us for lessons 7 through 8. And then I put on the, like, here's what I want you to do. I gave them two options. Here's what I want you to do um, when the rest of the class is doing the other material. And I just got feedback for parent-teacher conferences, and the parents said that was the greatest thing. My kid was so excited. My kid was learning and growing and didn't have to do these worksheets that my, under, my kid already understood. And these children could easily go in the, in the hallway and figure it out. So know your objectives. If you're going to do this, what do you want to teach? And make sure you know how to, you know if they understand the objectives. Um, past students out of material they already know. Have students participate in lessons they still need to master. Give enrichment. And then I always give a final test. Because I have found that sometimes um, if I say you don't have to come to these certain lessons, that there was maybe a hole there that I didn't catch. So I do want to make sure I catch all those holes because I'm going to give them to the next year's teacher who's going to be like, what happened? Why does this kid understand this? So do make sure you fill in those holes. But that's why I like compacting because you do bring them back in the classroom. So here is, here's an example. Um, colonist living unit. So high interest, strong readers will read and pick up concepts quickly. Um, mastering, you know, here, they already understood this. So I want you to join us for these, take a unit test, and here are some alternate activities. So just if you want to like think in your head, like how, what does this actually look like? You don't have to always write everything out like this, but it is a really nice thing to have right now, and then you can show mom and dad, like, because if you're going to send kids to the hallway during normal math, it is nice for mom and dad to know, else the kid's like, I don't have to do anything. So make sure you do communicate well with parents. Another, there's charts online like this all the time, all over the place for how to compact. Just so you have something written down, you can tell mom and dad if they need to know. Um, enrichment. 
So it's really important for enrichment. You want to go deeper, not just necessarily broader or that busy work that you're going in. So find something kind of interesting. Um, connect content to the real world. So I did a sixth grade, I taught sixth grade math, the, the boys who kind of tested out of sixth grade. And I had them measure the track, and we were repeating the track. And then the office gave them all the information for like how much things cost. And they had to analyze, you know, which, which company should we go with, which kind, you know, how should we get this track done. And then after they analyzed that and made a presentation, we have a barn at our school and it needed to be stained. So I had them figure out how to measure the barn, figure out how many cans of stain we needed, figure out what kind of stain we should buy, and how much the final project would cost buying different kinds of stain. And that was super fun. So that's another idea. And you can connect students to mentors. Um, you know, I, I had to connect them to the office because I obviously, I don't know what kind of stain, but the, there was somebody at school who understood and sat with the boys when they needed to. Um, also TPT. Don't be afraid for TPT. Um, acceleration. A lot of you have apps now that will accelerate for them. Adaptive. How many of you have some sort of adaptive apps at home? Part school. Yeah. These are great. So here are some really good ones. Some of you had asked about that. Um, some of my favorite, I excel. Alex, Moby Max. Happy Numbers is really good for the younger ones and so on. If you want an Alex acceleration app. Anybody else have one that they want to share with the group? Yeah. I just want to share with IXL, you can now put in your math scores mm. for differentiated learning, which is a great way to challenge students. So I have the kids, I tell them of the four categories, which one they're the best at and which one was the most challenging. So then I can say to them, today I want you to practice one you're most challenged with. And that's different categories for different kids. Yeah. That's great. Did we know that? We knew that. Okay, good. Fourth grade doesn't use IXL, but middle school does. And my kid uses it. In middle school. Good. Do you guys have more apps that you've just really fallen in love with at your schools? Yeah. Just a question. Do you know if any of those come in Spanish? Oh, that's a good Happy question. Numbers. Happy numbers. Happy numbers. Happy numbers. <laughs> yeah. They can switch it on the screen. I unlock it when I do assignments for them. So if they need help, the parents can switch. But if they're at school, it's always in Spanish, so they can switch. Oh, you can. I accept too, but it's hurried into a question. Um, or unless I, I saw you nod your head. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, you can't do it like a whole, they have to switch it every time, so it's a little harder. Yeah. Okay, great. Any other apps that you guys have really loved? Yes. Um, for language arts and languages, it's read theory. Read theory? Um, and it like differentiates based on their level. And so when I've used it, I've noticed it's a lot of like, nonfiction, um, which okay. just drives them more. That's great, read theory. And then what grace is that for? That's no, right. Okay. We just start some first grade. Okay. Cool. Good. So, um, acceleration. I that's what I find the most helpful is is using technology. And I have found that parents love. I mean, they don't want their kids in front of a screen all day, um, but they do love the kids get opportunities to go at their own level. These are also great for your struggling kids too. Have you found that? It like fills in the holes that you had to keep moving past and they still can't subtract over a zero, but now they can. So I found that really helpful. 
Um, grouping. This is something that I um, also have found helpful. Sometimes it's helpful to put those really um, academically talented kids in the same class for the next year because they have somebody that they can, that gets them, that they can bounce ideas off of. I know we like to like balance the classes out, but it's not always helpful for these kids because then nobody gets them and they feel really alone. And when you put a couple kids together who get each other and you put them together even in the same group, so you won't do this for every group, but they can create incredible things, things that you would never imagine. They can go above and beyond anything that you would think about. So I would really encourage that as you're thinking through class lists or even thinking through groups in your class, it's good to put some of these kids together. You don't have to every time. Because else they're in charge of the group too, and that's annoying. Or they're trying to teach the rest of the group, and again, that's annoying. It's like, come on, I want to learn something. Um, also, if you have the kids in one group, you just have one teacher who's really thinking this through. Like, what am I going to use? How am I going to contact the curriculum? What's my enrichment? What? And maybe one teacher really likes that. I kind of like it, as you can tell. So, um, or maybe you have another teacher on staff who can help you with that. There's a lot of, I have a research link. I know it's not helpful, but there is a lot of really good research to show that that's helpful for kids socially um, and emotionally and academically to put these kids together. Um, tiered learning. This is something I think a lot of us do in writing already without even really knowing that we're doing this. So it's taking this same concept, but it's having three different paths to it. So you think about a writing, um, you're going to have different expectations for that kid who can hardly write a sentence, and then you're going to have for your, your best writer in your class. So when you write comments on their papers or when you meet with them individually, what you're really doing is you're tiering the, the learning. That's called tiered learning. Because you're asking your really bright writer to go deeper, to add more examples. Not like, let's you get five more paragraphs because you're a really good writer. Maybe they want five more paragraphs, but ask them for more. Ask them to go research. You know, um, Ask them for more examples. Ask them to look at their word choice a little bit deeper. Ask them to add some similes or metaphors or personification, as Gary Schmidt is really, really good at. Um, and you would ask that maybe for, you know, kind of the average student. They, there's just basic, and maybe for the ones who's already struggling with it, you're just hoping they can write a topic sentence with a couple ideas underneath it that kind of makes sense. But you're going to be proud of them for every single step of this. So, I mean, are you already kind of doing that? <coughs> I would guess you are kind of doing that already. So you are challenging, then, the academically talented student. Or free reading. When kids are reading, you are helping them find the right choice books. That can be hard if they're really good readers and they're young kids, because there's a lot of material that is um, not age-appropriate, but the words are appropriate. Yeah, anybody want to talk about, anyone have a really good strategy? Because it sounds like some of you want to know that. How do you help kids find books that are at a high reading level, but not at a high content level? You know your librarian really well, right? I would use your people. That's, I, that's what I found. Use our people. And make sure because I know our librarian has read most books and can say, well, this talks about this, but it's appropriate. Um, 
Anybody else? Yeah. Honestly, you can oh, kids, I can look online. You can just type in this great booklets, right? It needs a challenge, but young reader, and it needs some really good stuff, and you can kind of peruse and see you know, what topics are appropriate for that particular student. So it's just a little bit of work beforehand. Yeah. It's, it's not terrible. Yeah. You can bring a list to your library and say, hey, do we have any of these? That's great. That's great. Yes. One website that I use, I am a librarian. Oh, it's yay. Thank Common you. Sense Media. Media. Say it again. Common Sense Media. Yes. Common Sense Media. And that one has ratings for like the level of violence, the level of language, um, that sort of thing. So you can type in a book title, and if they have it, um, it can just give you some indications on the maturity of the content of the book. That's excellent. So. Good, yes. I just found Hoopla, which yes. is, uh, you can put in kids mode, so all the options are all kids, kids content, okay. kids appropriate. And do you have that on the iPads and at school or I whatever device? Chromebooks. Oh, Chromebooks. And your yeah. Chromebooks. Yeah, that's great too, Hoopla. Good, epic. But there's not a way it doesn't go very high. Plugged in. Books. Book reviews. Plugged in. Plugged in. Yeah. Yep, that's great too. Good. Those are great examples. And as a teacher, too, I know it takes more time, but the more you read and the more you know books, the easier it is for you to hand out and say, this is appropriate. I think you're going to love this book. This is a good, challenging book. Um, but if you have an academically talented student who you want to keep moving forward and they won't leave the graphic novels, then it's, it's good to pull in some other help. Say, help me, help me find a really good book for this kid. Because um, you want to keep challenging these kids to read. And if they start to get bored with their books, they're going to stop reading. And that's not good either. Tier learning. Um, so you can tier, so it's basically if you have the same concept, I think of um, any sort of project, project-based learning is great. You can, you know, you have what you want at your end goal, but you have lots of different ways to get there. You can give them three different ways, or maybe give them three different end goals. And that's fine too. I'll go really fast with the end. Um, your tier assessment, too, if you have three different groups. I've done this before. Like, there's three different stories. And try not to let the kids know that I've just put them in ability grouping. Um, and then you jigsaw them. Or um, with tiered, like, I just did a thing with um, food chains. And so I know these kids right here are really excited about food chains. And they're reading books at Epic. And I say... I want you to go beyond the epic book. I want you to do a little bit more research and find super unique, cool food chain. And I want you to write that down so you can teach the class that. So all those little things just coming up to a kid and just quietly saying it. Other kids don't need to know, but it looks really fun at the end. It's like, look at that cool food chain. I don't even know what all those animals are. Well, let me tell you about them. I've just you know, spent my time researching them. Um, and you can do like a matrix like this, rules and laws, it seems boring right now, so we'll just keep moving. Um, Self-directed learning contracts um, to teach independent learning. You want to give them their own project. They're, they already know the Civil War. And you're like, hey, here's something really cool. What if you worked on this? Why don't you design this project with me? That's really fun. Um, again, your kid needs to meet the standards, um, but your kid also needs to be able to work independently. So that's when you know your kids. Not all kids can time manage. Don't turn it into busy work. Um, and sometimes use a contract. Because you want to go back to the contract to make sure, like, what are you doing? What is our end date? And um, how are you going to do this? How will it be assessed? 
So a learning contract. So the last things that we'll quick talk about is um, just even your questioning in class can make a difference. So you ask a question that you know 90% aren't going to be able to put the connections together, but there's two kids who can do it. That's great. That's great for the whole class. Or sometimes I'll say, um, hey guys, you know what, this is a this is a kind of a tough concept that I don't expect fourth graders to know, but I'm just going to tell you about it anyway. Don't worry if you don't understand it. And that way my, you know, four kids in my class who really got it, they're like, oh, that makes sense to me. And that's exciting because they feel like they're part of the class, they're being engaged, and the other kids know, you know, you can tune out if you want for like three minutes and then come back to me. Um, so, and you've seen this before. This is a, you know, a revised one. It goes remembering all the way to creating. So the more you can get them on top creating and evaluating versus just memorizing, the better. So I am hoping that as you've listened to this, that maybe you can think of one of these and go back to your classroom <coughs> and try it. Maybe it's assessing. Maybe you're going to start doing pre-assessments. Maybe compact the curriculum, enrichment, acceleration, grouping, or tiered learning. So, um, and I hope, or maybe you just have in your head an idea. Like, oh, this kid. I can help this kid. Or now I know how to talk to the parents. So, you guys, thank you so much for being here.